So if the Fed does not hike interest rates next week, it would be the second meeting in a row. Therefore, the sequence and the risk of hiking at every other meeting, Andrew, leaves the building. That is the technical definition uh, of a cycle ending. And personally, I caution people or investors to not romance the idea of quote unquote maintenance hikes in December or January. You're listening to IBKR Podcasts. Find more conversations at ibkrpodcasts.com. Please remember any trading discussions are for information purposes only and are not intended to portray recommendations. Please listen to further disclosures at the end of today's episode. Now, welcome to our show. Welcome to this week's podcast. My name is Andrew Wilkinson. I would normally open this edition of our podcasts by setting the economic landscape for my guest with the Federal Reserve Open Market Committee in the foreground. Usually, we're about to dis digress over whether the Federal Reserve will or will not add a further notch to short-term interest rates. I'm joined today by Revu Capital's Chief Investment Officer, Neil Azus. Welcome, Neil. How are you? Great, Andrew. Thank you for having me and great to be here with all of you. You're very welcome back. I'm just wondering, is this going to be the last time we have Neil Azus on the show? Let, let me explain a little bit. So the, there's been a seismic shift in the bond market, Neil, since the, the Fed members last met in September. And we're just heading into um, the first... 2nd of November meeting. We're recording this episode the week in advance. It's not so much about the economy and how the economy has responded materially to higher interest rates, is it? What I'm talking about are two events. There's been a recent speech by Jerome Powell, the Fed chair, but possibly what's more important are the wild durations in the bond market. Since we last spoke, Neil, the yield on the 10-year Treasury note has exceeded 5% during October. And as that has happened, the slope of the yield curve has altered radically. So Neil, connect the dots for us and tell us what impact recent events have had on the course of monetary policy. Uh, sure, Andrew. Well, there are several noteworthy developments uh, regarding the path of interest rates since the last Fed meeting on September 20th. Uh, firstly, uh, the probability for an interest rate hike at the November 1st meeting next week fell to 3% from 21%. So just as a yardstick or a rule of thumb, the Fed has never really raised an interest rate with a probability of less than 60% going uh, about four weeks into that next meeting. So as we always like to say, it's a fait accompli that they're not going to raise the interest rate. Now, here, here's the critical takeaway from that, Andrew. Well, the last interest rate hike was at the July 26th meeting. And as you know, the Fed skipped raising interest rates at the September 20th meeting. So if the Fed does not hike interest rates next week, it would be the second meeting in a row. Therefore, the sequence and the risk of hiking at every other meeting, Andrew, leaves the building. That is the technical definition uh, of a cycle ending. And personally, I caution people or investors to not romance the idea of quote unquote maintenance hikes in December or January. The Fed doesn't op operate that way, and there's no historical precedent for that type of monetary policy randomness. Also, Andrew, since that September 20th FOMC meeting, the probability of an interest rate hike at the December 13th meeting fell from 25% uh, down to 20%. So if you say that differently in odds terms, we fell to a five to one from a four to one against a hike by the end of the year. And then finally, on the flip side of the path of policy, during the last month, there was also uh, an incremental adjustment in market pricing regarding interest rate cuts. 
So the first cut, Andrew, was pulled forward to June from July, and the cumulative probability for the first rate cut between May and July increased about 10% to 144% from 134%, or almost 1.5 cuts by June now. So Andrew, those are the hard facts regarding what the market is pricing currently. When we last spoke in mid-September, Neil, the 10-year yield was around 4.35%. Yet you were modeling, although not necessarily predicting, a potential 50 basis point shift higher in yields. So how significant is the latest surge in yields through 5%? Uh, sure, Andrew. The short answer is that the surge higher in long-end interest rates is material. Uh, you referenced the recent speech by Chair uh, Jerome Powell. Well, that was the last major Fed speaker before the Fed entered the blackout period ahead of next week's FOMC meeting. I'm going to just summarize that speech he gave into one phrase and apologize, this isn't directed towards you, this is a generic statement. The quote I would use that summarizes his speech is, it's financial conditions, dummy. What do I mean by that? If you said that the 10-year nominal interest rate has rose or risen by 100 basis points since the end of July, which it has, and then you transpose that tightening into a financial conditions model that spits out the Fed funds pricing, it equates to about 60 to 70 basis points of Federal Reserve interest rate hikes. So said differently, Andrew, the long end of the yield curve did the work of the Fed for them. So it's material. So that's equivalent to about three additional quarter point rate increases, right? Yeah, let's call it two. Not bad for government's work. Right. What does history tell us? about the end of the tightening cycle and what comes next? Well, historically, Andrew, the end of a tightening cycle signals a recession in the intermediate term. Let me just rephrase that or say it again, the intermediate term. If you look at the most generic yield curve slope, which is the two-year, 10-year cur yield curve, it's not when that curve actually inverts like it did 18 months ago that a recession follows. It becomes much more of a realistic outcome when it, quote unquote, disinverts or goes positive that a recession follows. So just marking to market what I just said using today's prices, but thinking about it in an evergreen context, the last price of that generic two-year, 10-year yield curve is around minus 15 basis points. Last week saw the fastest uh, yield curve steepening of this cycle, and now it's basically a stone's throw away from going positive for the first time since that first rate hike back in March of 2022. So now, why, Andrew, is this relevant or how does it apply to markets? The answer is that the slope of the yield curve significantly impacts macro relationships. Uh, theoretically, a positive slope should see a reversal in the major factors or style premia or sectors. So, for example, growth should underperform value. Equal weight should outperform market cap weight. Large cap should underperform small caps. And banks and utilities, which have already priced in a good portion of that recession, should begin to outperform the S&P 500 on a relative basis. So it has a pretty meaningful impact. And that's what history tells us. So there's another big potential driver going on right now. What about the latest events in the Middle East, Neil? How do you factor war risk into markets? And what steps should somebody take regarding portfolio construction? Well, that's a timely question. So, I mean, human emotion, as you know, is a dominant factor when making investment decisions. And, and that's especially true regarding military conflict, 
including the specter of war now on multiple fronts currently. So as a steward of capital in our space, or what I do, it's pretty prudent to have a framework in advance if military action materializes. And to further contain emotion, Andrew, it, it's, it's also responsible to know the historical facts and the decision-making process that the professional investment community undergoes when they're faced with the specter of war. So with that said, uh, the first step in analyzing a geopolitical crisis is really to decide if the event could be systemic or any external bleeding can be stitched up fast. I mean, stated differently, Andrew, we wanna know if that event can feed on itself or it could subside quickly. And to answer that question, you have to conduct three simple tests. And these are the three tests, and then I'll tell you how we answer those questions on the test. The, the first test is, is a superpower involved, and is, it, is it, and is it operating on their sovereign soil? Why? Because a superpower being involved can project power. That is, they can make their local issue a global one, Andrew. Also, if it's, a, if it's on sovereign soil or there's risk of war on their own home front, it has the potential to, to both damage domestic and global economic activity, uh, you know, et cetera. So there's a big difference per se, say something happening like 9-11 in New York City and the impact on US GDP versus somebody hitting the USS Cole in the Middle East 25 years ago, right? Big difference. The second test is you have to ask yourself a question similar to subprime in 2008 during the global financial crisis. Is there a threat to the global banking system? If there's a collapse of a major country's credit, right? That leads to economic anxiety and various data points will be weaved together into a narrative that there's going to be a global business slowdown. So we want to ask that question too. And then the third one, which is the most obvious of the ones you ask yourself, is global crude oil supply involved? Why? Because as you know, a conflict can cut off shipping lanes and that has major consequences to the global economy. And historically, Andrew, if the answer to those following three tests is quote unquote, no, the default action by the professional investment community is to treat any sell-off in risky assets as a buying opportunity. Well, in this case, the first two tests, as I mentioned, right, is a superpower involved and is it a threat to the banking system? The answer probably doesn't apply at this point, um, meaning there's no major superpower, um, there's no threat to the system. However, the third test certainly does apply crude oil. And interestingly, in this case, it has two potential choke points, both Russia and the Middle East, right? Because there's two, two, two activities on two fronts currently. That has never been the case, or there's no playbook for two choke points being in, being in play at once. That's very you know, interesting and, and alarming, actually. So armed with that information, Andrew, the argument would be that since the two tests are not in play yet, but the third one being crude oil is, it's prudent to be mindful of short U.S. Treasury or short U.S. dollar positions. And probably at the same time, we wouldn't fault anyone for adding tail risk hedges in crude oil or increasing gold exposure incrementally. But the part about doing a wholesale change to a standard portfolio in advance of a conflict, there's no basis for that. You just want to do some things around the edges and maybe protect the wings just in case at this stage. Now, Neil, I've known you for a long time. I think it's quite fair to say that you've got quite a disdain for gold, probably more so than I do. <laughs> but why why are you so constructive on the price of gold now? That's yeah, simple, Andrew, because the yellow metals profile right now has a positive fundamental and technical setup, including to the point where you could justify increasing the weighting and asset allocation, albeit incrementally. 
And when those factors are aligned, Andrew, it should be acknowledged regardless of our personal opinions or behavior biases. It's just us being objective. Now, uh, if you followed us for a long time, you know we've conducted extensive analysis on gold. Uh, we've been published over the years in various media outlets regarding our views on gold. And what we've just basically come down to when we do all sorts of different analysis is that there are seven uh, fundamental factors that are credited with driving 90% of the gold price. And of those factors, our experience is that gold is the most sensitive to the U.S. real interest rate. The higher the real bond yields go, the lower the gold price should go and vice versa. So, Andrew, if the Fed is indeed ending its tightening cycle, the real interest rate should either be close to a peak or recently have peaked. And as they come down from this ultra restrictive level, gold should perform given its historical inverse correlation to that factor. And then secondly, the technical outlook is probably the most constructive in my career. And it pains me to say that out loud, but it is. So first, just as a reminder, I always like to say that because gold has been around for a long time and has such emotion towards it, it really is the ultimate commodity asset to try to chart. It's just got great long-term medium-term patterns to look for. Every discipline you can use matches to it. I don't care if you're a DMARC guy or you like to big wave surf with Elliott Wave, Elliott Wave, et cetera. For us, we're, our discipline is classical technical patterns. And so I'll just answer that question on the technical leg using one illustration with classical technical patterns. So the, the dominant classical charting pattern is a 10-year cup and handle pattern using the weekly chart. And so the way that that mechanically works, you know, for people who actually like to understand the definitions of these things, it's pretty easy. The target with the cup and handle pattern is the height of the cup, and then you just add that to the breakout point of the handle. Well, because this has been going on for 10 years, and if you just use classical charting basis definitions, that's really about a thousand bucks higher or a target of a little over 3,000 on the price of gold. Now, I want to caveat that. I have no idea how long that will take, one day, one month, one year, or 25 years, but that's what the chart is currently saying. For us, it's easy to be objective when you both have a fundamental factor that drives everything that lines up and the most powerful technical factor that lines up. It's important to be humble during those periods, and this is one of them with gold. As large as your disdain is for gold, I have a similar disdain for politics, particularly U.S. politics, and we're about a year now away from Election Day. What are the current high-level talking points today? either general or market related? Yeah, this is a challenging environment. I'll give you that. Uh, but on the other hand, I kind of actually like talking about politics because right now they're a big driver of things. And I think they have the ability when you dumb it down to market uh, context and not personal biases, we're set up to have a pretty big impact this time around. So if you just take a starting point, make life easy. The presidency, the House and the Senate are all up for grabs. The party controlling the House has kept control of the House in 17 straight presidential elections. And if you look at the historical precedents and how you could break that, well, Democrats are on the offense in the House races, especially given that up until yesterday, they did not have a, a Republican speaker. And so they have they hold a pretty uh, thin majority in the House, and they've got to defend about 18 districts. I won't get into all the details. But those districts, uh, President Biden won back in 2022. So it's possible that, that historical precedent could break uh, in the House. Just as a yardstick or sort of having a calendar view. Uh, just a reminder, you know, the primaries start in uh, on March 5th, and then they go all the way out till mid-September. There are a couple big unknowns. You know, will Trump be allowed to run due to the 14th Amendment? Will Biden physically be able to run due to his health and age? Will uh, Vice President Harris still be on the ticket or replaced? 
I only highlight that because Gavin Newsom, who's been making the rounds, the governor of California, coincidentally, he was in China yesterday meeting with Xi Jinping in a pretty big ceremony. That is very uncommon. And so it's possible they're they're, they're grooming him for something. Uh, and then if not, you know, is, is, is the, the, the backup plan a Newsom-DeSantis ticket? And that's what's coming. And then I'll just talk about one last thing, because I know we can talk about lots of different subjects, but this is really the overriding theme for me. Or if I had to dumb it down to one, the number one talking point at this moment, everyone's talking about the federal deficit, right? We all know the deficit horse left the barn. It's never coming back. It doesn't matter who's in the White House, a Democrat or a Republican. They're both going to spend big indefinitely. And there's no game plan. There's no budget negotiation. We're, we're right back with a new speaker. We might have another continuing resolution. Or maybe this time in November, the, the government has to shut down for two to three weeks. And so at the end of the day, we're just going to have a very large annual deficit. And it's going to continue to increase the overall debt profile, right? And so when you think about the two big things that are going to collide in the next 18 months, it's very simple. We have this powerful Inflation Reduction Act, the IRA, that drives the capback cycle and the earnings of companies levered to IRA spending. Well, if Republicans do end up indeed winning and they want to operate either through executive order or because they can get the votes in both bodies of Congress, it's likely that they will seek to reduce the outlay of that uh, spending act. Well, that's in a form of austerity. Why is that relevant right now? Because right when that's supposed to sh supercharge or kick into gear, the Trump tax cuts are expected to expire. There's no game plan to extend those. And also importantly, due to the fiscal situation, there's no money to expand those. So the combination of not expanding the, the, the Trump tax cuts and the Inflation Reduction Act seeing a, uh, some type of incremental reduction in the potential spending that was initially outlined, that combination is not good for the U.S. growth profile, potentially heading you know, into the period that, that the Fed's interest rate hikes are supposed to induce a, a recession. So that collective collision is concerning and something to think about in the big picture. Well, at least it could cut interest rates. That's true. <laughs> we, have, we, <laughs> we hold that view and that position, Andrew. My guest has been Neil Azus, CIO and founder at Revue Capital. Thank you very much for joining me, Neil. Thank you, Andrew. Good luck. Don't forget, folks, you can listen to more podcasts at ibkrpodcast.com and find us at ibkrcampus.com too. And wherever you download your podcasts, please do leave us a review. Thanks, Neil. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks for listening to IBKR Podcasts. As always, we have more episodes at ibkrpodcast.com. And if you're interested in learning more about interactive brokers, visit ibkr.com. We offer more trading education material, such as webinars at ibkrwebinars.com, financial and economic commentary at tradersinsight.news, market-related courses at tradersacademy.online, and quant-related articles at ibkrquant.com. The analysis in this material was provided for information only and is not and should not be construed as an offer to sell or the solicitation of an offer to buy any security. To the extent that this material discusses general market activity, industry or sector trends, or other broad-based economic or political conditions, it should not be construed as research or investment advice. To the extent that it includes references to specific securities, commodities, currencies, or other instruments, those references do not constitute a recommendation by IBKR to buy, sell, or hold such investments. The material does not and is not intended to take into account the particular financial conditions, investment objectives, or requirements of individual customers. 
customers. Before acting on this material, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and is necessary, seek professional advice. Futures are not suitable for all investors. The amount you may lose may be greater than your initial investment. Before trading futures, please read the CFTC Risk Disclosure. A copy and additional information are available at IBKR.com.